Hey, we want to say thank you to our sponsors, Watchman Cigars, Webmerized, Red Hill Brewing, and Crave Bath and Body. Without you guys, this episode would not be possible. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast, where it's our take on life, liberty, and the pursuit of gravy, while you, the listener, are invited to grab a beverage and join us on the front porch and set a spell. We've got a great show lined up for you, as always. But before we begin, let me introduce you to our starting lineup, manning the video chat and the chat box and anything else that's related to twitching uh, is his uh, magic man. Hey, everybody. And did you just say crap a beverage? No, I said everything related to twitching. <laughs> Never mind. He said grab a beverage. Yes. Okay. Oh, grab a beverage. Yeah. Yes. So, All right. Southern so phrase of the week. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have producer Brian Manning, everything else. Hey, hey, hey. And uh, I am your illustrious host, Biggin. Boy, I'm having issues Hoist. with words today. Yeah. Uh, also, this episode, you may refer to me as Fat Man. Um, <laughs> hey, <laughs> producer Brian, where can people find us on the socials? Uh, we are on the Facebook at Southern Fried Philosophy, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch at SFP Radio. You can always email us the show at SFPRadio at gmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash SFP radio. I still hurt from those chicken sandwiches. And if you want to catch us streaming, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and the TuneIn app, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, wherever you find the show. Let me also say this. If, if you're living in North Carolina, especially around the Concord area, I would highly suggest joining our Patreon link. Uh, mm-hmm. Just any amount of money, a dollar, two dollars a million dollars either way. What that's going to get you is access to Red Hill Brewery. And then we have got two beers on tap. It is a Dolomite, which is a coffee stout and a banana pudding beer that we have put in bourbon barrels. And we are going to have a release. And when we release that from Red Hill, we're going to have a SFP night where you can come up and enjoy the, uh, the beverages with us. So, uh, only special guests will be allowed to come. So, you know, if you're a All Patreon right. subscriber, we'd love to have you. If not, us three will just be hanging out and it'll be awesome. Challenge so, accepted. That's right. There's that. Uh, if you would like to uh, join us and subscribe on YouTube, we would appreciate that. We need a hundred subscribers on that. I know there's more of you that listen to the show. So just go to YouTube again for crying out loud. Um, if you're staying at home and you are developing your own podcast, your own uh, FaceTime, your own uh, friends only show, and you need producer, uh, producer Brian will do that. Uh, email him at headlines at SFP radio. And if you want to be a show sponsor, email me biggin at SFP radio at gmail.com. We would appreciate that. Um, all right, so this gets overlooked a lot. We live in North Carolina. And we don't say this enough, but we want to say shout out to our listeners from North Carolina. You guys are doing awesome. Yep. Keep Woo-hoo. spreading the word. That is our most listened to state. Uh, so I just, I don't want you to feel overlooked. So please thank you. 
take that and do something with it and have a Coke and a smile or something like that. But we appreciate you. <laughs> I'm going to ask you like I ask you guys every week. I be darn magic man. Go. Ah, doing good. Man, it is hot out there. Good gosh, it is hot. It feels like an oven, and it's humid. It's the dog days of summer. Thank you for that weather report. Yep, and when you're uh, fluffy like us, it doesn't make it any easier. (laughs) I don't understand y'all that say, I can't wait for summer and enjoy the heat and you love the heat and you're like oh this is perfect i i hate the the winter i don't understand y'all i really think that there's something wrong with you there has to be how can you like this heat it's too much yeah and and again like for us fluffy folks there's only so much clothes that we could take off y'all there's only so much that you're like please put some clothes on and we do, and then we're about to die from heat stroke. So just know that. It's pretty miserable. It's pretty miserable. <laughs> Producer Brian, how you been doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I just got back from the Outer Banks, so uh, like two hours ago. And wow. you were talking about hot. I think it's hot Is it here. worse there? <laughs> well, it's. I think the temperature is about the same. It's about 95 with about a 75% humidity. Mm, but yeah. the problem out there is when the wind blows, even the wind's hot. So there's no Ooh. like relief. It's like sitting Ugh. at the front, like the right in front of the world's largest dog, just breathing on you the whole time. So <laughs> oh Clifford, Clifford, yeah. the big yeah. red dog. Yeah, it's just that's it. You know, oh, it's a breeze. Oh no, it's a hot, wet breeze. So mm, I sweated more farted. yesterday than I have my entire life. I'm pretty sure quite impressive and, and it's so hard to recover from that because one you're physically exhausted and then you got like all those electrolytes that you lost so you're like you're drinking gatorade just to survive at this point it's yeah miserable. I, did, I went to a brewery instead so it's you oh, know well, that was smart that's, yeah that's real smart right Where, where'd you go <laughs> well i was at, okay, i was down at banks we were i was in the on the island of manio or the roanoke mm-hmm. island the town of manio but there's a brewery there Ooh. called the lost colony brewery. of course there is because Lost Colony. Because <laughs> why yeah. wouldn't you have that there? Right. Uh, so uh, we did two flights just to try, try all the beers, you know. Uh-huh. At the two o'clock in the afternoon. Day drinking. 98 degrees, all that. Not the band. Um, <laughs> and it was, yeah. I mean, they were they were fine. Uh, but the highlight of that particular uh, brewery is the food. I had <laughs> quite possibly the best shrimp and oyster basket I've ever had in my entire oh. life. Like. It wasn't anything fancy. It was just, I think they just like pulled the bat, pulled the net out, cleaned and fried them, and gave them to me like within yeah. twenty minutes or something because it was so good, so fresh. Yeah, I, when we were in Texas, we would go to Galveston and we would have some friend some uh, fried shrimp there, and they're like, "Yep, that boat just pulled in about an hour ago, and we're yeah. frying them up now." I forgot what the difference is with fresh seafood versus <laughs> right. what we get here. And it's good. You know, it's yeah. fine here. But when you get it, right. like, right, like, you know, they caught these things yesterday, probably. Yeah. And, uh, it was fantastic. You like seafood, Magic Man? You a seafood guy? I would if I wasn't allergic to it. Oh, no. That's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Seafood uh, and tree nuts. Can't, can't do either one. You, and peanuts? Tree nuts. Uh, tree nuts. Oh. 
Yeah, I can eat peanuts all day, but uh, and I love peanut butter. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, tree, tree nuts and uh, seafood. So yeah, it sucks. That's terrible. Man. And uh, my wife grew up right uh, right next to the sea uh, down in Georgia, and um, she's allergic to seafood as well, and it drives her nuts because she used to be able to eat seafood. And she, and she goes, man, I would love to be able to eat crab legs again and, and uh, stuff like that. Wow. And um, yeah, unfortunately, she can't. But yeah, um, so I've, I've been to uh, the seaside restaurants many times down there, and yeah, I hear hear the same thing. It's always better than than anything. Yeah, they don't specialize right. in cheeseburgers, so those aren't ever as good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the seafood. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How you been doing? Uh, I'm good. Uh, as noted on the show. I've got a new grill, so I finally mm-hmm. fired that bad boy up Woo-hoo. with appropriate equipment, i.e. thermometers. Again, mm-hmm. I called Master Belt. They're sending the new stuff. God knows when that's going to get here. But um, it, it turns out, like, I've got a new set of thermometers, dude. And I on this cook, and I didn't tell you, Producer Brian, I was, like, 40 to 70 degrees off. What? So, like, it was wow. it was horrible. So, you know, I just kept cranking it up. So I was at 300, or I was at 292. And I was just setting at 225, like 225 to 230. Yeah. So Master Built knows it. They're going to fix it. They're sending new stuff. Uh, But I did a a pork butt and I've never done that before. So I'm freaking out. Like, how do I do this? (laughs) This thing, it's a five pound pork butt. And from what everything I said, I read, it was uh, uh, two hours per pound. And so I'm thinking this is going to take 10 hours and it's going to be miserable. Nah. I, it wasn't. It was, <laughs> I was started at eight and I think I got, I pulled it at two or something like that. No, that's not right. At four. Uh, so we had plenty of time and it turned out really good though. Even though, you know, I had to make the adjustments on the temperature overall, it turned out pretty dang good. There are some adjustments that I'm going to make on this next round, but it's all learning, right? Well, like it's yeah, not just that's a, it. You, you never stop. Yeah. I've been doing this for a while and you're never satisfied. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, you're always going, well, you know, you're all your own, your own worst critic. Right. So yeah, yeah. you'd be like, well, if this was a little bit different or maybe, you know, you make a little, just, you're always adapting, changing. There's not a, I did it this one way. and It's going to be the same way every time. That's, right. It's not like that. Yeah. So I think I saw my Instagram feed where Jess put a picture of some of the stuff you made and she seemed pretty happy with what you did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's a good feeling is when you get done, you know, you, you pull the pork out and again, family show, uh, you pull that out and like, she enjoys it and she's like, Oh man, this is really good. I want it. I want it. This is how I know it's really good. When she says she wants it for leftovers, I'm like, nailed it. All right. So she had it for lunch today and I was like, yes. Sandwiches. That's what you go. Yeah. Some well, we just we didn't even use the sandwiches. We just ate the meat and a little bit of barbecue sauce because it was a little dry. But you know, yeah. What do you what do you need to do? It was pretty good. Mm. Uh, let's go to our southern phrase of the week. It is she's pretty as a peach. And yes, I am talking about my wife. Uh, this is a high compliment in the South. This is a saying that is used to compliment a girl. In fact, it is a common adage. Southern states are known for their peaches, notably Georgia and South Carolina, since they are most since they produce most of the peaches more than any other state in the South. Uh, so that compliment is likely to be given to a girl that has a beautiful complexion, a blush-colored cheek, and uh, just like the prettiest of peaches uh, that you can pluck from a tree. 
So that's what it means when you say pretty as a peach. I have a question for you, Biggin. Uh, yeah. How does uh, how does Jess feel about being called a peach, being that she's from Georgia? Uh, she's okay with that. She likes okay. it. Yeah, because, you know, Lori, she's from Georgia as well. She hates being called a peach. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, gosh, she let hates me, it. Let me and yell then, at her. <laughs> do, you, do you like to be called a peach? <laughs> yeah, she says yes. So we're good on that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's good because we go back down. I take Lori back down to Georgia to visit her family. We'll cross the state line. I say, I'm uh, putting the peach back in the peach tree. And she <sighs> back at me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> does, she, does she make that noise? Because that's a little troublesome. So, some some variation of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like tell them large Marge since you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, speaking of peaches, it is a summer food. And. Um, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but, uh, the garden and gun magazine had an article about the perfect BLT, but it got me thinking about summer foods. What are foods that you can't live without in the summertime? Like what are your favorite summer foods? I'm just going to spitball that out. Anybody got an answer for that? Magic man, you said you were actually thinking about it, uh, yeah. last week. So yeah, no, uh, ice cream, uh, watermelon. Okay. You know, yeah. th- things I remember doing when I was growing up. In fact, one what of the things that? I was thinking of is, uh, one of the things I was thinking of was my dad, when I was younger, he, uh, we had an ice cream maker and it was one of the ones you oh. stick in the free- uh, freezer. Oh. And then it makes it in the freezer. And it was made by, I want to say it was made by Salton, but this is like, okay, think 70s. Okay. And they had three colors. They had a beige color, they had a brown <laughs> color, and they had a pink color, I guess for, vanilla chocolate uh, strawberry uh, Neapolitan. Okay. i get it yeah and i'm trying to remember which color we had we had either the pink or the beige i can't remember um but yeah putting that in there getting excited waiting for this you know ice cream to be made and to come out of there and of course it only came out in the was it the little quart container it wasn't not nearly as big as what you get from the grocery store but it was always good you know homemade's always good yeah yeah we had we had a an ice cream maker i think and we would make banana ice cream that was our go-to Hmm. Think all the time, um, just like the soft stuff, you know, the rock salt. It was it wasn't yeah. the freezer one. It was the one you use, yep, like ice and rock salt, and it just churns real slow. It was electric, thankfully. It made yep. me sit there and churn it. Um, <laughs> was it in a bucket? Yeah, you put it. it had like, like the, a bucket thing that went with it. Okay, um, yeah. but yeah, I remember that. You know, for me, I would say a cantaloupe is something I love in the summertime. I really ripe cantaloupe, nice. watermelon, okay. any kind of melon. Um, <laughs> You know, just like like barbecues too, like like hamburgers, yeah. like outside, just grilled. Anything you know, you know, grilled. Which makes grilled. sense when it's the <laughs> hottest time of the year. Go around a very hot fire, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's uh, go eat outside <laughs> and stand around <laughs> a six hundred degree <laughs> grill. Yeah, right. And cook hot food. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's great. Yeah. Um, now, did you make you made some uh, some homemade ice cream the other day, producer Brian? Uh, yeah, for the Fourth of July, actually, we did a strawberry ice cream. Turned out really well. Uh, I think it was the same good. one you sent me. So whatever, okay. I was inspired by the ice cream that you and your wife were making. I think I was like, yeah. I need to know more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm like I love watermelon. One of the things that's on TikTok now is it's a watermelon and mustard craze. 
Like they put the mustard on the watermelon, take a big bite of it. And people are like, this is going to be gross. And then they turn out like, oh, this is fantastic. So maybe next week we'll, I'll get us all watermelons and we could try it and I, see if I we like it. I had watermelon also on the 4th of July. I got a really good watermelon, actually. I didn't I'll eat the watermelon, mate. I'm putting mustard on it, no. I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll try it. I'm, I'm not that. I ain't scared. Maybe I'll try a little bit, like a small piece. <laughs> I like mustard. <laughs> I like watermelon. I mean, what could go wrong? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, people are saying that that's great, so might, we might give it a shot. Um, I love strawberries, and like you said, melons, those are all fantastic. Uh, tomatoes is another thing, and that is a perfect thing for a BLT is to have a, t- a tomato. Um, anything special you guys put on your BLTs, and I'll be honest with you, I ditched the L, and I just have bacon and tomato sandwiches, which to me are phenomenal. Uh, to me, the perfect BLT would be a uh, toasted potato roll. Okay. Bacon, lettuce, tomato, and then you put a cheeseburger on top of it. <laughs> that that's that's yeah. I'm not a tomato guy, so yeah. I, I need the the burger to wash out the tomato. <laughs> wow! Somebody just I, I was I'm watching this fried and crispy on Netflix, and um, the guy just says it's just a water vegetable. He just calls it the red water vegetable. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Magic Man, what it what what do you like on your BLT? Good question. I don't. Uh, do you like BLT? I guess the BLT. He likes the yeah, bread. I the guess bacon, the BLT. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bacon's really good. I know bacon, lettuce, tomato. I was just trying to think if there's anything else that would be good on scrambled eggs. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, hey, Lord, there it is. <laughs> just um, kidding. <laughs> yeah, I made uh, some BLTs the other day, and I used a. Um, I got Duke's mayonnaise, and then put some balsamic uh, vinegar in it with some uh, fresh cra- uh, cracked pepper and okay. mixed it up as, you know, the, add, add that mayo phase to it. And it was really good. Yeah. Um, but I don't go as high class as these folks do. Uh, and it's interesting. It's, again, in the uh, Garden and Gun magazine, uh, and they featured a restaurant that's here in North Carolina called Kindred. Um, and they opened in Davidson. Yeah, I've and, heard of that. And then Hello Sailor in Lake Norman. Okay. Hello, Sailor. Very close to here. Uh, And so they are building their BLT with great bread. They use a Pullman-style Benny Seed sourdough, which I don't know what that is. I like sourdough. Okay. okay. All right. Sourdough's good. Fancy sourdough. Yep. Check. Yep. Okay. Uh, From a local bakery there in Charlotte, it gets toasted to a deep golden brown Rubbed with a garlic clove and oh. drizzled with a little olive oil. Okay. Not too much. Um, and they say you don't want limp bread before you start layering the ingredients, which I agree with that. Right. Um, the bacon is thick cut and roasted in the oven, which keeps the strips flat. Uh, and they use uh, tiger striped heirloom tomatoes, but any good garden tomato will do. Uh, and then, of course, um, Duke's mayonnaise. So that's that, it. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, that's also, they say that oh, bread. the mayonnaise, the the mayonnaise though is added. They add basil, 
fresh basil and freshly gra- cracked black pepper, and they use Tella cherry peppercorns if you really want to finesse up your sandwich, which I don't know what Tella cherry Ooh, peppercorns are. cherry Yeah, that sounds too fancy. Mm. Yeah, spicy peppercorns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so where do we want to go here, gentlemen? Uh, we've got into the world as we know it. CEOs making way more money than they should. Uh, Jesus, take the wheel and woke Coke. And we do have our special guest, Tamina Watson. She will be joining us here shortly, a immigration lawyer, a radio host and author. So she will be uh, joining us here in just a bit. Any, uh, any of those uh, jump out any, at any you. Sorry, I'm trying to find the price of that BLT. <laughs> <laughs> Forty-seven ninety-five. I'm just making that up. I don't know. Uh, let's talk about the uh, REM song. What's that about? All right, that's uh, Ryan's right. article into yeah. the world as we know it. Go ahead and All bring right, that. Well, up. This is taken from the Bite B Y T E uh, by Dan Robitsky. Uh, it's talking about back in 1972, a team of a team of MIT scientists published a research uh, predicting the end of our current industrial civilization within the 21st century. And uh, just in a basically in a nutshell, they're saying that uh, we can indeed witness the collapse of civilization as soon as the year 2040. Um, and that's only if we continue our business as usual approach to resource extraction and over exploitation. So basically, if we keep going the way we are with uh, using up natural resources, uh, we could see uh, some, some serious issues coming down the line here in a few decades. I'm not necessarily a tree hugger, but, you know, I think anybody with a brain would know that if you overuse resources, you could, uh, uh, you know, overexploit them. You could run into some problems. So, uh, you know, I was thinking, um, was it that Prince song? Uh-oh, we lost uh, JT. Yeah, what was – yeah. So I haven't looked at this. Uh, oh, this is from 72, you said? Yeah. But they're um, – I think what it is is because 2040 is uh, what 19 years away. Yeah, I mean that's that's coming right that's down the road. Pretty here. close. We're actually closer than to ni- uh, to 2040 than we were uh, 1970. So have they updated any facts on this? Let's see. Well, one of the things they said is that uh, this doesn't mean that humanity will cease to exist. It's just our way of life as we know it will uh, change um, ec- economic and industrial growth will stop um, then and then decline uh, which will hurt the food productions and standard of living yeah um, and the sh- scenario shows a steep decline set in around 2040 mm, that's and i mean i wonder if that's been escalated at all based on the current like global you know the, the war- global global warming yeah. whatever you know resource use everything like that like it could you know if if they're using metrics from 1972 i would assume the timetable would be it's, sooner <laughs> based on the, yeah, last, the last is, two decades have gone <laughs> yeah every, everything is accelerated um but yeah i was also so we, we were talking about the rem song in the world of you know it so if we could play that that'd be a good theme song yeah. but i was also thinking of <laughs> Just uh, singing in your head. the prince the prince song 1999 saying you know uh was your two two zero four zero oops party or oh, no yeah oops party out of time 
Oh, um, yeah. We're going to party like it's 2039. <laughs> <laughs> guest, do we, is the guest on? That's correct. Yep. <clears throat> okay. Uh, and this is Tamina Watson. Uh, she is an uh, immigration lawyer, as I said before, radio show host. Uh, she's got thousands of listeners uh, around the world. But I, I wanted to have her on just because I want to get her take and her uh, understanding and, and her perspective on immigration. I know that's one of the hot topics here in the South yeah. um, in dealing with that. So <clears throat> I want to know the reality versus the lies and myths and everything else that we've been taught, uh, especially here in these red states. So uh, we're going to go ahead and bring her on. How are you? We're good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You've got myself, which I'm not on video because my internet is being very spotty right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, producer Brian uh, and Magic Man, he runs our video. Uh, and so he is, uh, all three of us are on the show. So we're so thankful that you, you've joined us tonight. Well, I'm very grateful and honored you invited me. Oh, no, it's, it's definitely our <laughs> honor. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story. You've, uh, started, you're the founder of Watson Immigration Law. Tell us about your story and how you, uh, got into immigration and how that became your passion and your interest. Well, just sure. basically your passion. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. You know, I am an immigrant to the United States. I was born and raised in London. Um, and then I had a sleepless in Seattle moment with my <laughs> husband. And it was long distance for a while. And then eventually, we got married and I moved here. And once I moved here, I had to figure out how to practice law again. I was a mm. lawyer in the UK. And in the UK, the system is different from here. You can be a trial lawyer, which is named as a barrister, uh -huh. or a transactional attorney uh, referred to as a solicitor. And uh, I was a barrister there, and I had to really figure out you know, life all over again. So I took the New York bar exam, something that I was allowed to take. Um, but if you live in Washington State, you generally need to have the Washington State Bar License behind you mm -hmm. to practice state law. So I sort of got limited in what I could practice. I really didn't know what to do. But what I did know is immigration was one of the things I didn't want to practice. <laughs> I had seen immigration law in the family. My father was an immigration lawyer in the UK. And in my mind, it was asylum and all the issues that tug at your heart. And I didn't really want to do that. And so uh, as I was looking for a job, two or three jobs came my way and they were all immigration. And I kept saying, thank you, but no, thank you. And then the third time round, I thought, you know, I should just say yes, do this for a while and then figure out what to do. But the second day or the first day of actually practicing immigration law, I realized the universe kept sending it to me until I succumbed because it was my calling. And the reason is I, I really wanted to be helpful to people. I wanted to really make a difference in people's lives. And I wanted to practice an area of law that was in, interesting and I could see the beginning and end of a case. And that's what happened with immigration. It can be so much more than asylum law. In fact, it's it's so much more than that. And so I realized I could help the CEOs of companies. I could help entrepreneurs who are trying to make a big difference in innovation. And so the clientele can be anything you want it to be. And I really found my way through business immigration. 
And so I realized this is, this is my calling. And, you know, the first time somebody, you know, picks up the phone and screams in your ear to say, I got my green card and you're <laughs> deaf. There's no moment like that, actually, because you have really, truly made an incredible difference to them. And mm. so actually in our office, we take turns in sharing that privilege now. There's good news. Who's going to give it? You know, it's nice. truly a privilege. So that's how I fell into immigration law. But initially I was practicing with somebody else. And then in 2009, I started my own practice. And here we are in 2021. I'm, I'm still going and I, I love it. That's fantastic. <clears throat> when I was going through um, the directory of, of guests, your name really stood out and, and immigration was stood out as well. And the, the big reason why is because for us here in the South, I don't think we really understand immigration very well, uh, especially in these red states. Um, you know, <laughs> we're in North Carolina and, and we we get a lot of um, prejudice about immigration, what it really is about. And we just say, well, just let them come over and fill out the paperwork and just be done with it. And, and I don't think it really works like that. So my biggest question to you is how does it actually work in reality? And like, what are the, the, the pros and cons and what are, what is the cost associated with all of the process? I am so honored you picked me, and I'm so grateful you asked that question. In fact, I write a biweekly uh, article, I have a biweekly column in a national magazine, legal magazine called Above the Law. And I write about these regularly, things that I see mm -hmm. and why uh, you, the current system isn't working or what the challenges are and why that particular issue is really important. So, you know, for anybody interested, I would direct you to Above the Law okay. slash Tamina Watson to find all my columns. And I'm going to start with the basic overview of immigration and then dive into why it's important. And I also have to thank the universe for giving me this opportunity today because I wrote an article yesterday. And one of the sentences I wrote was, those who don't necessarily appreciate immigration or understand immigration is because there's not enough education. Mm, and I just wrote yeah. that sentence yesterday. And then <laughs> here you are giving me this opportunity. Um, and you're right, because a lot of people, it's one big lump sum. And it's not necessarily the whole picture. So a basic overview of immigration. The immigration laws of this country were set in 1990. And they're divided into family-based immigration, employment-based immigration, diversity lottery, and then the other humanitarian criteria such as asylum and refugees and some of those other things. Most people see the asylum and refugees and that's their equation mm -hmm. of immigration. Um, so family-based, there are also quotas, meaning that there are a set number of green cards that can be given out each year. And in in fact, yesterday I did a webinar on these green cards. I was moderating one. So anybody interested could go to our blog and find that webinar and understand <laughs> a little bit more about that. But the family-based immigration is really about family members sponsoring other family members. So, And it's not like people might have heard in the news, aunts and grandparents and so forth. It's really close relatives. So parents, 
children and siblings. But I describe it to people like if you look at a dartboard and you have the bullseye in the middle, that's the closest relationship. And those Mm -hmm. are rather quick to process. Depending on, you know, the relationship, it could be just the processing time and there's no waiting time. And as you get on the outer circles of that dartboard, the waiting time gets longer and longer. So therefore, the sibling is considered on the outer skirts of that dartboard and they wait 10 plus years. So it's not a quick, immediate solution. And it can be longer than that, depending on which country you're from. If you're from the Philippines or Mexico or India or China, that timeline can be closer to 20 years. So it's not by any means a quick solution for anybody, but only those are the criteria that can qualify through family-based. Now, employment-based immigration, those criteria were set in 1990. And uh, again, if you look at the dartboard, those green cards, the closest one in the bullseye is those who are extraordinary, people who are in what's called the EB1 category, uh, somebody who's won a Nobel Prize, somebody who's an outstanding researcher, or somebody who's a multinational executive, you know, running a a business in both countries. And then the outer circle grows with the qualification of your position as well as what you have. So master's degree, bachelor's degree, skilled workers, religious visas, and investors. It sort of goes that way. And so the waiting time can increase that way, but it also is country. There are country limits. Every country gets a 7% um, quota of the big pie chart, if you like. And so the bigger the country, the longer the wait. If you're from Mm. Sweden or Turkey, you're not waiting that long. If you're from China, India, that no matter where you are in that pie chart, it's a very long wait. So for none of these people, it's it's not a quick solution so that notion that let them come here is 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 sometimes a misnomer now um i want to take a moment to explain when people say get them in the line you know i described you that pie chart but it's how i've learned to describe it Mm-hmm. There's a, nobody else will describe it this way in the in the dartboard man, mannerism because there really isn't a line. There's no line as such, uh, and you get into this line by when your application was filed. So one of the things that your listeners might be thinking about: well, all these people who are coming to from the border and you know they're not necessarily here legally. Send them back and put them in the line. There is no line. It depends on where you are in this sort of uh, criteria. Um, And the other thing that people should know is one of the unintended consequences of a law that came into play in 1996 was that if you had been in the U.S. without status for six months to 12 months and you leave the country, you cannot come back for three years. And if you... If you've been in the U.S. for 12 months or more without status, then you cannot come back for 10 years. So what's happened with the 11 million people that generally is associated with immigration only, and and the the, the rhetoric generally is go out of the country, come back legally, A, there's no line, and B, there's no mechanism. 
Because mm. of that law of the 10-year bar and three-year bar, a lot of people have come here. They have mixed status families, you know, U.S. citizen spouse and children and, you know, lives here. It's it's They don't necessarily want to be in the situation, but the situation has been not been... Um, created so that they can come back legally. And that's why the immigration reform debate continues to happen and sort of doesn't go anywhere because a lot of this education isn't really there in the way it needs to be. So again, I'm grateful for this opportunity because I wrote that sentence yesterday. <laughs> um, and, and so here we are in, in terms of your, your next question, is what are the costs and what are the pros and what have you? And to that, I would say is, if all of us looked at our backgrounds, yes, I'm a new immigrant. I came here, you know, in 2015. I'm a, well, I guess you'd call me first generation or I'm an immigrant. But people who have been born to parents and have grandparents and great grandparents, they have, you know, there are generations of immigrants. But if you go back into the history, all of us have come from somewhere, whether it's our grandparents or great grandparents, you know, people who came from the Mayflower and then, you know, got to Ellis Island. You know, a lot of people will say, well, I got here legally. But in those days, the laws were very different. All you needed to do was get off the boat. You know, <laughs> that's all you needed to do. And and so the laws have not necessarily changed with that. But if we look back in our own sort of generational history, you will find that we have amazing people in our history. Now, one of the things I try to remind people is if you if you look at the world global um, named reputable organizations, they all generated in, in, in America, most of them anyway. If you think about Walt Disney, you know, you think about this American icon, you know, people come here from all over the world to go have fun at Disneyland. He's a second generation immigrant. Mm. You know, if you think about um, you think about Levi's and one of the most iconic, fashionable pants all over the world, whether you're a man or a woman or a child. He was a European immigrant who came to the U.S. and created mm. uh, this iconic um, um, item, fashion item. We're on the map because immigrants have put us on the map because it, it, America was a place where you escaped persecution. The things that are happening today were happening all those years ago, too. It's just a different you know, quote unquote villain, if you like, or uh, different circumstances. Mm -hmm. So America has been a place where people have come here and they've made their dreams come true. You know, I come from a, from a, a different country and my parents were from a different country too. You know, my parents were from Bangladesh, a South Asian country, and they were immigrants to the UK. Immigrants, wherever they go, they go with the expect expectation of getting their hands dirty, really mm. making, knowing that they have to make their own living, have to be part of whatever community they're in and really make sure that they are paving their way to earn their living and have, have make the place a better place for them and where they live. Mm. And that has gone on through generations. So there are statistics to show different types of immigrant contributions. Now, I deal with entrepreneurs a lot, and there are studies to show that immigrant entrepreneurs or children of immigrants are, are you know, have created or co-founded 50% of the, the startups in America. 
Wow. which in turn create have created hundreds and thousands of jobs. You know, Elon Musk is uh, one of the most notable immigrants you can think of. And, you know, what has he done? He created <laughs> PayPal and, you know, now Tesla. And of course, now he's thinking about going into space mm-hmm. uh, and he's going to take us with him. You know, he's creating <laughs> these opportunities for the regular person. I mean, obviously, Richard Branson has already now taken the first step in doing that. But these are not, you know, these are dreams for some people, but that's what makes us, you know, able to do the things that we don't necessarily think about. Um, <laughs> what I will talk about is, is for just a moment is COVID. Mm, yeah. COVID really ex- drew our attention to immigrant contributions. If you think about our lives in the last 15 months, we've all been stuck at home. We couldn't go out. We our nature of our lives have changed and how we operate. You and I are speaking on Zoom. You know, I'm so grateful I have this opportunity to speak with you and others because Zoom allows me to really just get out there without leaving my home. And in fact, if you can see my background, I now have a podcast studio in my house. It's amazing. I didn't have it before. So yeah. <laughs> my so husband jealous. is just amazing. I was recording my book, my second book called Legal Heroes, and I I had blankets over my head and I had to find where to do that. And I had to kick my kids, you know, out of the closet, you know, their toy room closet. So this is a quiet spot. Do not come in here. And so he took pity on me and then spent many weekends just putting foam up and he bought foam, put it up and goes, oh, I've run out again. So he orders more, puts them up. Oh, I've run out again. So I love that I have the opportunity to now have a nice space where my children know don't come in here. But I'm doing it through Zoom mostly. But the Zoom founder, most people may may or may not know, his visa application was denied eight times before he came to the U.S. (laughs) Oh, wow. But look at what he's done. He's now employing thousands of people. He's actually keeping millions of us, not just in maybe billions. I don't know the number of users they have, but people around the world are functioning because of Zoom. And he's Mm. an immigrant. And I don't know if you know the story, but the way he came up with the idea of Zoom, he's, I think he was in Japan or China, one or the other, one one or the other. And he was commuting on train uh, to see his girlfriend. And he kept thinking, how do I find a better way to speak to my girlfriend? And that was the genesis of Zoom. But oh, he only wow. founded that when he when he moved here. I haven't had the privilege of speaking with him yet. I hope I someday do. Um, but that's what an immigrant has done. If you go, the only place during COVID we were really allowed to go to were the grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the shiny apples and the groceries that were fresh there, immigrants were picking them. You know, for us, if you speak to farmers, they will tell you um, the same story that they can't find people to pick their apples or or other types of, you know, crops. Um, And, you know, I live in Washington state and there are some really great websites for understanding what immigrant contributions are to your own state. I didn't know until I read these reports, but this particular one um, uh, is about dairy workers, you know, milk and other dairy products. We're the eighth largest dairy producer, I believe, and more about 50% of the uh, workers are immigrants. And so 
you know, no matter which industry you look at, whether it's the doctors who are, you know, treating us during this very difficult time, a lot of them are immigrants. Um, immigrants have really made a huge difference and it's exposed the value of of immigrants. Um, the Moderna vaccine, the Moderna company was co-founded by immigrants. And of course, the vaccine was, you know, found, you know, created and came up with by by immigrants. Pfizer is the same. You oh, know, wow. it's 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 interesting because COVID gave an opportunity for them to really showcase what they do. And so there is an awful lot of value. And, and, you know, one of the things that your your listeners might know of or heard about in the last, you know, several years is a visa called H-1B visa. And the H-1B visa is a professional visa. It's a temporary visa. You, it's, not it's not a green card. You come here because your employer has sponsored you for a job that you can do. And um, you must have a degree and the job must be in that particular degree, you know, area. And so um, every H-1B worker, you can't see it necessarily, but has a multiplier effect. From one high-skilled position, there are actually seven jobs that get created. Oh, wow. because, because that person needs a doctor, an accountant, um, you know, they have to go do their groceries. They need um, dry cleaning service. So two professional jobs get created plus five other non-professional wow. jobs get created. So there is truly a, 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 a multiplier effect to all of these. So the message that I, when I was writing that sentence yesterday, was to try to educate people about immigration equals economy. Immigration mm. equals um higher wages despite what people think there are wages attached to that and there are more jobs that get created so taxes yeah. get contributed to the economy and jobs get created and i would love for people to understand that let's take refugees for a second okay. you know when you know that's a that's a hot tugging area because People are actually, you know, outside, you know, in areas of the world where they were displaced for whatever reason, war or famine or, you know, climate. And the, every one dollar that the U.S. spends on these refugees, they actually contribute three dollars to the economy. The other thing wow. about refugees is that there's a, a, there is a term called brain waste. Because a lot of these people come to this country, but they have fled whatever was going on. But they were doctors or professionals of some sort in their own country. And they come here and they drive taxis or they clean mm. houses. But it's not because they can't do something else. It's because they don't necessarily get the opportunity. But nevertheless, they still contribute to the economy. You know, other countries, and actually your your listeners might be interested in knowing, just this week was it this week yeah time is a blur um <laughs> on on the 13th which was yesterday no the two days ago yep. two the days 13th ago. the house house judiciary committee had a hearing actually and i was very fortunate to be able to submit a statement and a copy of my manuscript of the book that's coming out next week oh. um but they were they were really talking about 
other countries having immigration policies that are attractive to immigrants because can and canada was the the country of focus mm. whatever america has been doing canada canada has been doing the opposite if we're really <laughs> slow to process cases they are making them faster to process they are essentially uh, you know putting a lot of incentives out there and the reason the hearing happened and there were lots of good testimony on both sides and you know people if they're interested in edu- educating themselves the testimonies for all the people are on the website for the house judiciary committee's hearing and people can learn from them there are statistics and uh, people who are knowledgeable knowledgeable about these issues uh, talk about how businesses are not able to find the workers they need mm. now you know you you may know this and you probably hear this whether you're a big tech company or a small business both these types of businesses are struggling to find people to to fill yeah. them yeah it's yeah. interesting where you hear the the adage well they're going to go take our jobs there's a ton of jobs open now and nobody's taking them so you know that doesn't that doesn't add up it it doesn't. And, and the, one of the statistics that were put out there is at this very moment, there are 1.3 million vacancies mm. for jobs. I, one of my latest articles in my um, column was actually sharing some stories of my clients and three different types of clients. Small business owners, one uh, ho- um, owns a hotel. And she's like, I can't find anybody to help me with my business. Mm. Mm to help uh, but there's no visa category for that particular type of quote-unquote low skill a, a, one of my other clients owns fast food restaurants um and he said hey i can't find anybody and then the other uh, example was somebody who owns a construction company and there's a lot of construction going on at the moment in mm-hmm. different parts but construction companies can't find people to work. And so I'm just giving these three examples, but there are different types of small businesses, home care businesses, uh, mom and pop shop, you know, stores, they can't find. So whether you're a high-tech software engineering company who can't find workers, the the low-tech companies also can't find uh, workers, but ultimately they're serving the American consumer. You know, it's the American yeah. consumer that was signed, you know, standing outside of the restaurant in a line who couldn't be served. So so what would you say is, I guess, one, the biggest, the biggest hurdle that folks have to climb? And, and what is the answer to fixing it and making it easier? Because it sounds like from what you're saying is if we if we kind of open it up a little bit, one, that's going to be a huge boost to the economy. Uh, we'll get more workers and and things will be better. Is that, I mean, that sounds like what you're saying. How do we make that easier for, for folks? Yeah, that's a really good question because I don't know if I necessarily have a good answer. <laughs> the, the powers that be are those in Congress, right? And those in Congress, and we have a 50-50 split at the moment, but they're all catering to their constituents. Mm-hmm. And this is where the education is important because they all want to make sure their constituents are heard. But the hurdle really comes down to border security more often than not. And so that definitely is an issue that needs to be resolved. There's no question about it. Um, And 
I think, you know, this administration really does want to find good solutions. I mean, if you hear the news in the last day, in the last few weeks, I mean, the administration has made it vocal saying, please don't come here until we've figured it out. Um, so border security is one of the, the obstacles that really comes in into the conversation. Um, and, but I think there needs to be compromise. You know, mm-hmm. our economy at the moment really does need to be revived. You know, if you think about the eviction moratorium going on around the country, I live in Seattle, You know, there's a big homeless crisis here Mm -hmm. and there is a housing uh, eviction moratorium going on. I think there's a federal moratorium going on around the country. New York uh, has one. The moment these eviction moratoriums are lifted, we're actually going to see a huge crisis that really I don't know Mm. if we can handle as a country. And who are these people that will need jobs? Everybody's going to need jobs. How are we going to create those jobs? I'm not saying that immigration is the only answer, but it is an answer that is not being given the 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 credit it needs, the the the, the value it needs, the attention it needs for that perspective. In my opinion, immigration is a tool for economic growth. If we can harness it, if we can use it well, then it's win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because we then can serve the American consumer. We can serve the American patient who is in a ha- home care facility who needs their medication sort of served to them in the way yeah. the doctors prescri- prescribed. And, and we can, you know, we can serve every industry in which immigrants are necessary. Nurses are another example, you know. So it needs to be looked upon as a solution and not a problem. If we can Mm. flip the way we look at it, we can really harness it to grow this economy. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, for, and this is just being completely honest and transparent, because I think that's what we are on the show. For the longest time, I was one of those people that says, just get in line, you know, just, you know, wait your turn, come over legally and that be it. But, but the older that I got and looked at, people and heard their stories, I was like, oh, it's not nearly that simple. You know, it's easy for me to say, right? But but that's not the case. It's not easy for folks to come over. How long, if somebody decides, hey, I want to come to America, how long is that process normally, just coming on just a regular visa and the cost associated with that process? First of all, thank you so much for sharing that, because that's one of the biggest questions I get. Why are they not just getting back in line? And, you know, you've now come to realize it's not as simple as that. And and it could be if that three and 10 year bar that I mentioned to you, if that could be reversed, you know, rescinded and taken away, then you can open up the pathway for them to come. Mm. Now, immigration reform has been on the, you know, it's we've come close in 20, 2007 and then we came close in 2013. Um, and that could have said to people, okay, those of you are, who are here, pay extra money and then we'll, you know, and say sorry. And, you know, th- there were going to be, you know, mechanisms for it. But that if that were created and you address border security with humane and compassionate ways to secure the border, I think that is a resolution. Yes, the devil is in the detail. It's not simple. But to come to your question, how long does it take and how much does it cost? It really depends on how you're getting here. So 
I talked about the dartboard and family-based and employment-based. Those are for green cards. That means permanently coming here. And those can take, you know, from two years, depending on how quickly it processes and you're in the bullseye, to 10 plus years if you're further out on that dartboard. And the cost would be closer to $10,000 when you're finished with it. You know, and it builds up, you know, pay here a little, pay there a little, pay there a little. That's how it builds up. And the government fee and the lawyer fee, it all adds up. But then, you know, the random question I might get is, hey, I'm a student here. My employer wants to sponsor me. What are my visa options? And um, that's when we go into the visa soup. We call it the alphabet soup because almost all of the letters of the alphabet are used up for visas. (laughs) There's the A and the B and the C and the D. And so when I'm looking at options for people, I have to actually go through the alphabet quite literally. (laughs) Which one did I miss? And uh, so that's how you have to figure out. And all of these letters that I mentioned, they're generally um, temporary visas. So A, for example, is for diplomats. Um, B is for tourists. C is for people who are crew members on planes and and cruise Mm. ships. D is also that category. E are for people who are investing in this country or businesses. F is for students, and it can go on and on. And so the H-1B, for example, is the most popular professional visa. And, And so each of these visa categories could take anywhere between months, several months, and it could cost several. It, most of the visas will cost you anywhere between, on average, three to seven thousand dollars. These temporary ones, wow. um, and, and then the government fee on top of that. So you know, on average, I'd say let's just lump them all into one. Let's call it $8,000 roughly. Um, And it could be more or less depending. I'm just giving you an average Mm, number. Um, But when they're temporary visas, they could come, if they're already here, some of those visas, they can change over. So a student could change over to an H-1B. But what we saw in COVID COVID comes into the story a lot because (laughs) the last 15 months, we've seen unprecedented situations Mm. for somebody to, let's say employer has sponsored somebody for their visa and they were approved to get onto the plane. They have to show a visa stamp in their passport. So if your listeners haven't seen one of them, they can Google visa stamp and they'll see it's like a little square, you know, three by five that's stuck into the past, almost the size of the passport. And it's got a little, you know, gold foil or silver foil and they're picture on it and it has a number and a letter so i said e for example there's e1 and e2 Mm -hmm. there's c c1 and c2 you know there are numbers like that so letter and number and that gets um into the passport you know uh printed onto the passport they need that stamp to get onto the plane and then get into the airport and the airport officials, immigration officers will inspect them, ask them questions, see if they believe them and then let them in. So it's not even as simple as just getting an approval, Mm -hmm. but that stamp can only be given to you at embassies. Mm -hmm. March 2020, embassies around the globe all shut down. Now these embassies see hundreds of people a day they all shut down. So they're giving stamps for people with the the temporary visas. They're giving their non-immigrant or immigrant. 
Non-immigrant is the letters they mentioned. Immigrant are the All of these have to be given from the embassies, and the embassies have absolutely slowed down. Um, can you hear me? I, I might be. Oh. I might be. My internet might be a little choppy. And so there has been a lot of delays and backlogs into um, people getting their visas. But on top of that. We now have country-specific bans. So mm-hmm. if you're from Europe, even if the embassy wants to give you that little stamp, they cannot give it to you because you're from a country that has an additional problem. Uh, Schengen countries have additional bans. India, as you might know from the news, has a surge and they are now put on this extra ban list. South Africa and Brazil the UK. My pet, my mom can't visit at the moment because, mm. you know, it's from banned country. And so there are multiple issues that have come up uh, during COVID, mm-hmm. things that we haven't seen before. So when you ask me how long it takes, I don't have a straightforward answer. Sure answer for you anymore. In fact, I don't have a straight answer for any of my clients. Wow. People who apply visas in this country to get green cards, you know, there's a process and the offices in the U.S. were also closed. And people get seen every day. That backlog has grown to unprecedented levels. You're breaking up a little bit for us. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, I no, turned no off worries. your video to, to kind of stabilize that. So oh, you just okay, keep going cool. there. That'll help a little bit. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, so basically, it you know, this whole COVID thing has just shut down the embassies and now uh, it just created more of a backlog. So if you're one of those that say, just get in line now at this point, the line's even longer. So that doesn't even work. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's been, it's been crazy. Yeah, I have a buddy. So are, I have a buddy um, from work who went to India. Um, he's from India, and um, he's stuck there. He can't come back, and he's hoping mm-hmm. to hear something by the end of this month. Uh, whether because of the whole COVID thing, they've, they've got a complete ban mm-hmm. for people that, and you know, he'd come back with a visa and everything. It'd be perfectly fine, but he can't come back because of COVID. That's exactly a good, that's a really good example. That's exactly what's happening. You know, I was speaking to somebody today who's from the UK. They have um, a specific type of visa, not the professional one, but they're like, if I leave for these, you know, three reasons, can I come back? I'm like, there's no way Mm. you're going to be able to come back. Wow. And so they have a job here and lots of other things going on. The moment they step out of the country, they can't come back. So it's a daily challenge. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't envy your job at all to to, to see. I would love to see, you know, people getting their green cards and, and, you know, embracing their family and seeing their family. But then the heartbreak of not not being approved and, you know, the disappointment in their eyes and their face and and not being able to see their family. That would just that would tear my heart up, I think. Oh, the guy that my friend who's stuck in India, uh, he just recently renewed his visa um, year before last. And he came running into the room I was in at work and like gave me this big old bear hug. And he says, you know, he was all happy. I'm approved. I'm approved. My visa went through. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was so happy. Oh, so, yeah. You see, that's, yeah. that's the, that's the kind of thing I get to see on the, in, you know, during the good days. <laughs> mm. 
Can you tell us maybe one of your favorite stories of uh, of a case or a, you know a client that has uh, stuck with you throughout all of this? Oh, it's going to be difficult to pick one. Sure. Um, let's see. I guess the first time one of my clients invited me to her citizenship interview, I mean, mm. uh, uh, um, ceremony. I mean, I go to interviews, but I don't always go to ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And it was very difficult getting this case approved. This person was married to an amazing American doctor, and they were doing amazing humanitarian work abroad. Uh, but, you know, there are rules and regulations about how much time you can spend abroad. And so that became a complicated factor in her case. So it was very difficult winning the case. And so she invited me to her ceremony. And up until that point, I'd not gone to anybody's ceremony. And so I went to her ceremony. It was such, it was a really touching event because Mm. there were, you know, there was, the room was full of uh, people who were about to become immigrants and they had taken their family members and when they, you know, took the oath of um, allegiance and became citizens, I mean, there there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Yeah, sure, and I'm so sure. that was one of one of the moments that made me realize, you know, I'm the lawyer. I'm, you know, paper pushing some, and then they say thank you when I move on. I don't necessarily appreciate it. So I went to that, and I I did feel, you know, the the hot, you know, warming moment, but. Even then, I don't think I appreciated it as much until my own citizenship mm. ceremony. And for for my own ceremony, to me, I was really just treating it as a case. You know, I'm the, from the UK. <laughs> I have rights. I didn't feel compelled to apply for citizenship. But then I had a baby and I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to have the same citizenship as my baby. So yeah. I'm going to do this. Um, but to me, it was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to do this. It's a chore. So I had to go through the process. And it's in the Seattle Times, my story. And my husband, and you know, I got to the end of it. And my husband said, I'm going to come. I'm like, do not come. Don't take the time out of your day to come. It's just another task to do. But he was like, no, I'm just going to be there. And as this ceremony was happening and I was thinking about that client, I really honestly didn't feel the emotions until it was my own ceremony. Mm. Because a ceremony begins, if you haven't been to one of them and if you get the opportunity, please do go. It starts with a video of just pictures of what happened through the times of America, you know, the forefathers mm. winning the war and all different types of, you know, poignant history that's, you know, depicted through pictures in this video, you know, and there's an accompanying song, uh, a patriotic song about this is our America. And as that's happening, and I have, you know, 100 people in the room, we've all got our hands up. Suddenly, my entire, I'm just getting goosebumps telling you this, mm. that my entire life sort of flashed upon me. Like, I wanted to have have a wonderful husband, a good career. I wanted to help people. I wanted to live in a a good place. And, you know, I didn't necessarily think of America as being that place, but America made all of my dreams come true. Mm. And so here I am like bawling. I'm like bawling now. (laughs) And I told my husband, don't come. And I look back and he's teary. And, you know, there's there's no more precious moment than that because, Mm. 
now I have this extra appreciation of what my clients go through because mm-hmm. I went through that. And now after that moment, you know, the magic words, I mean, we have magic man here, but I have these magic words that I'd say to the office team that, oh my God, they said those magic words. Because the moment some, somebody says to me, that's my dream, I feel extra empathetic to make mm. that dream come true. I had one client who's who's an American and a business and she wanted to dance with this dancer, a foreign dancer. And she goes, I, it's always been my dream to make sure that dancer comes here and I dance with that person on stage. And I'm like, oh my God, I've got to do everything I can to get that dancer here. And they oh. have their what's called a P visa, you know, and nothing was easy about that case either. But becoming a citizen, in addition to becoming a mother, really gave me new perspective or extra perspective in helping the people that are going through so many challenges to make their own dreams come true that has a ripple effect on America itself, but also as a parent to provide for your child, uh, you know. uh, And until I was a mother, I don't necessarily think I understood that to the extent Mm. I needed to. So many elements of my life has really made me a good fit for what I do. And now I see myself as a public servant without public office. I say that often (laughs) because I really want the laws to become better. I want my community to be happy. I want, you know, really to my my surroundings to be happy. And I feel as though I can do that with immigration law using my expertise and my own experience. Wow. What a great story. Uh, Tamina, thank you so much. So wrapping up, uh, we got two minutes what what's the biggest uh, disnomer that you would have to to say for uh, people that maybe that have thought like me, you know, Southern red state? How do we? What's the biggest misconception we have about immigration? There are many, but if I had to pick one, it's that they're taking our jobs away. Mm. Yeah, and that's clearly not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tamina, I could talk to you for hours. One, just because I love your accent. I could listen to that all day and just let you read the phone book and I'd be just perfect. (laughs) You're so kind. Thank you so much. Well, I'm just so grateful you gave me this opportunity. And I I thank the universe that I wrote that sentence down. And then you asked me this question because I really do think that education is important Mm -hmm. and to have the avenues to be able to share it. And maybe I need to write some more sentences down. So maybe tomorrow it will come true. But Um, thank you thank you so much for the opportunity and and for what you're doing i mean to come to that realization and then really express it and find a way to spread that mm. i think it's important because you know we shouldn't be thinking about just today we should think about the next 5 and 10 and 50 years but where we want to be in a world that is just as small as it's ever been because of technology. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. Now, where can people find you? You got a new book coming up. Uh, Where can people find you if they want to learn more about immigration or just your story? Uh, You know, how can they reach out? Thank you so much for, again, giving the opportunity to even say that. So I I wrote a book in 2015 called The Startup Visa, why we need a specific visa for entrepreneurs who are creating jobs and starting companies. And so a second edition of that book is coming out on July 20th. It's called The Startup Visa, second edition. It will be on Amazon and anywhere else people get books. So I would love for people to get the book. It's not just about immigration. There's a little bit of history in it. I had to learn history 
industry too. About <laughs> Jamestown to Silicon Valley, people can learn about that. If they nice. want to connect with me, LinkedIn, they'll find me at Tamina Watson on LinkedIn. Um, my website is www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. I also have a podcast called Tamina Talks Immigration. I currently have a series uh, called the Startup Visa Series to go hand in hand with the book. And national leaders are my guests talking about all the research they've done and why a startup visa is necessary. And they can just Google me, um, follow the biweekly column I have on Above the Law. I'm also a columnist with the, a magazine called Entrepreneur. So, I mean, you just have to Google me. You, ca you can't not find me. I'm, I'm everywhere. I'll be honest with you. I made a sandwich today and I felt accomplished. Uh, like... <laughs> <laughs> Compared to like what you're doing, I'm like, good gracious. Like, oh, I don't know how you. in the world. Plus, you're a mom of two. So, That's, goodness. I have an amazing husband. I have to give a shout out to him. His well, name clearly. is Tom. Tom, He's I need you to come over and build us all studios. Could you do that for us? Yeah. I would appreciate that. <laughs> I'll let him know. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you so much, Tamina. And we will have this uh, episode ready for you on Monday. I'll shoot you the link. And uh, so if you want to share on your socials, you can. Don't feel like you have to, but man, we, we really will love that. for sure. Thank Perfect. you so much. Thank you so much. You have a great night. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Y'all, I've. <clears throat> the thing is about this is it was about an, what, 44 minutes. Uh, and I, I feel like we just barely touched the surface. You know, it was just yeah. a, a scratch of, of what the intricacies are of immigration and the whole process. I will say the thing I learned was $10,000 for a visa. Like how in the world? Well, yeah. Think about someone coming over one. the hard way, you know, yeah. <laughs> and tries to get legalized. Like where do you get the money for that? If they're trying to send money back home already or whatever, yeah. it's a lot. I think the, like H1B visas, um, probably some of the companies that sponsor uh, the folks applying for the visas, they pay for those visas, maybe, mm -hmm. or maybe at least, you know, split the cost of it, supplement it, supplement it. And there's probably some situations yeah. where they don't do that. And, and it's up to the person to do it themselves. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, and like you said, I've, I've been kind of the get, get in line, you know, get verified and then, you know, do it legally. But I've also seen, the other side, um, I have a, a friend mm -hmm. who came here when he was seven legally. Um, his his uh, mom and his dad brought him here uh, when he was seven years old, and he came in under his mom's visa. And his mother passed away from cancer. And because of that, he was then a quote-unquote illegal alien because he lost his visa when his mother died. Um, oh, wow. And when his mother died, he was, gosh, how old was he? 20, 21, I think. Um, and we actually allowed him to to stay with us for a little while to, um, uh, you know, to try to get established. Because I mean, th this was this wasn't just a millennial trying to find a job. I mean, sure. he couldn't stay even get a job because he did he wasn't yeah. legal. Status, yeah. He he he, he yeah. was undocumented at that point. And mm -hmm. so I've seen both sides of the story, and and it's it's a it's tearing because you want it to be done in an organized, orderly fashion, legal fashion. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I mean, these are people that we're talking about and, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a tough, it's, it's a tough, either way it's tough because, 
you know? Yeah. yeah. So anyways. And some people are in like life threatening situations and they have to get out of their city yeah. for whatever reason. And yeah. you can't wait three years yeah. to put in the paperwork. <laughs> Yeah. Someone you might die, or someone yeah. might come in and you know, kidnap family. Like, there's some serious things going on. There's not a there's not a fast way in, right? Yeah, and and I'm not saying open the open the floodgates and let everybody come in. There has to be some safety issues and some double checks yeah. and, and things like that. And but at the at the same time, it shouldn't cost ten grand, and it should be a faster, easier process. And I don't know. I don't know how we hold that up, but you know, I thought it was some, some really good points. And yeah. and again, just the fact that more immigrants coming in, the more money that we get as an economy, I think that would be helpful too. So, yeah. So uh, speaking of citizenship, while she was talking, I kind of went on a middle tangent and looked up the uh, naturalization test for okay. becoming a citizen. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause you hear how hard it is, right? Yeah. Like everyone's like, I don't know if do I can this? pass that. Uh, I don't know what's a hundred questions. I don't know if you want to go through all that or let's, not. Let's do ten. I felt that's that's the thing. If you do, you get ten, and you're supposed to get six out of ten to pass, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, so right, we can. Here we go. Uh, I'm just going to randomly pick out six questions for you guys <laughs> and see what we get. Are you? Are we? Are we getting ten each, or is is it going to be just we we answer together? Uh, yeah, we'll, do be a t- we'll do a team sport here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll really just. Uh, this is great. Yeah, you guys can, uh, if you need to phone a friend or whatever, you can, we can do that. <laughs> B. Okay, uh, so there's 100 questions total, so I'm just going to randomly through here and pick out six of them. All right. Uh, what does the Constitution do? I'm out. It, okay, <laughs> so the Constitution basically sets up our, um, our government structure. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Good job. All right. and I, mean, the, I, I was going to say also the first set of rights, too. Yeah, there's there's three possible answers to that question. Sets up the government, defines the government, and protects basic rights. Yep. So, yeah, I was going to say that. Magic man, you can stay. Um, I'm out. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another random. That was the first one. Um, what is the, quote, rule of law? It's it's the law. Is it is it similar to common law? <laughs> it the rule of law is the law that makes the rules. That's what I would probably say. God, I'm not going to pass this thing. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, this is a hard one. So the rule of law will be everyone must follow the law. Okay. Leaders must obey the law. Government yeah. must obey the law. That's questionable. No one is above the law. That's what I was going to say. The rule, the rule of, law of law does law. not exist in our country. Sorry. <laughs> the rule of law only if you don't have money. If you yeah, have yeah. money, it, it, it does not apply to you. Money and power. It, it, it was in, yeah, it was interesting, though. Even when she was describing it, the more money the, that you have, the easier it is to get a visa. And yeah. I'm like, well, crap. Okay. Um, uh, who is in charge of the executive branch? Nancy Pelosi. No. President. Oh, crap. The president's correct. I'm out. <laughs> this, this is civics now. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we elect a U.S. senator for how many years? Two. Six. Should I should have. Yeah, six is correct. Uh, I should have been doing d- d- double scores here to see. No, I'm. I'm so far. Biggins got all of them wrong. So right, that's easy to take care of. You have to get them all right to stay. That's what it comes down to. Because you're right. No, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> um, 
Oh, here's a here's a fun one. The House of Representatives has how many voting members? Thirty-two. Isn't like five hundred thirty-eight? <laughs> uh, by Price's Right rules, Biggins right here, but yeah, Ryan you're way closer. Four hundred thirty-five is right. Okay, I said thirty-two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it was Price's Right, I definitely. Yeah, overbid. Um, <laughs> name one dollar, Bob. Name right. two cabinet level positions. Uh, the the low the lower shelf and the middle shelf. The, the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense. Very good. Good Lord, how do you know this? Civics. Uh, yeah, I was. I felt after reading through these, I felt way better about lots. Because I'm a history nerd. Um, hey, that's why we're friends, Brian. <laughs> I used to be a reenactor, remember? Yeah, that's right. That doesn't um, mean like you know how many House of Representative members there are. It, 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 it I didn't know that two. one. It comes with the territory, man. No, it was probably 32 when you were react, reenacting. Right, yeah. That's where that well, happened. there was zero for the time period because it was Revolutionary <laughs> War before the Constitution was even written. <laughs> Here, here's, a, uh, here's a good one. What is one responsibility that is only for United States citizens? Voting. Correct. Yes. You know what the other, there's another one. You know what the other one is? Obeying the rule of law. Citizens <laughs> arrest. It's a serve on a jury. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I've That's one responsibility. On then there's another one for a question about rights. I'm going to skip that one. Um, which are also the same responsibility. That's interesting. They're not exactly the same. Um, let's see. That's only in the fifties. I only got, I got three Radio more. Gold. Scroll down. Um, what is one thing Benjamin Franklin is famous for? Electricity. Franklin stove. The what? Franklin stove. Franklin stove. It's not one of his inventions. It's more political. So wait, you're going to say that he didn't invent electricity, and that's not important? I, I'm not. He didn't. Inv- that's not what's on. That's not the answer they're talking about. This is I, American history. No, the question is what's what's something important that he did? That's what's it. He one thing he's famous for. That's what he's famous for: flying a kite, <laughs> getting struck by lightning. Is that what he's yes. famous for <laughs> discovering electricity. <laughs> if it wasn't for, that, I would have no idea who Benjamin Franklin is. He's uh, got great he, little glasses. The, the accepted answers are he was a diplomat. He was the oldest member of the Constitutional Convention. He was the first postmaster general of the United States. All right, I'll give you that was important. He was the writer of Poor Richard's Almanac. He started the first free libraries. Mm. You know. Are there any questions on there that I would get by watching Alexander Hamilton? Who is the father of our country? George Washington. Yes. There you go. <laughs> that was on there. Um, what was the ter- what territory did the United States buy from France in 1803? The Louisiana Compact. No, Louisiana Purchase. So the, yep, it was Louisiana Purchase. Purchase, correct. Yep. All right. Same one thing. more. One more. Oh, wow. So many choices. <laughs> I'll be honest. I thought this was multiple choice. <laughs> Here's a, this is interesting that this is on here. Um, name one American Indian tribe in the United States. 
Cherokee. Cherokee people. There's Cherokee There's at least 25 on this list. I feel Seminoles. Like. There's a bike. Braves. And the closest one to where we live is the Catawbas. There's 22 yep. on this list. Uh, the Catawba is not a... It's, it's like that's a sect of a different tribe, isn't it? Like, weren't they? They're not on this list, but they should be Cherokee, Navajo, Sioux, Chippewa, Choctaw, Pueblo, Apache, Iroquois, Creek, Blackfeet, Seminole, Cheyenne, Arawak, Shawnee, Mohegan, Huron, Oneida, Lakota, Crow, Teton, Hopi, and Inuit. But anyway, could that Tim McGraw song be played anymore? You know that Seminole win? Yeah. No idea. I don't think you can play that anymore. Yeah. So, uh, that you guys, okay. So that was, it was, it was 10. You missed, uh, Magic Man missed two. So, these yeah. days. <laughs> Biggin's going back to Germany. Yeah. And then they, they get into some geography, you know. Yeah, that, that wouldn't help. <clears throat> That's, well, here's what's interesting. Can you name how many which states border Canada? Do you know how many there are? <laughs> All the ones at the top? Duh. Take a while, I guess, at the number. 32. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's too many. You said wild. Uh, let, me, let me point like Magic Man. One, two. It's like, n- right it's like nine or ten. It's thirteen. Oh wow! Okay. I was going to say thirteen. You I lost, I lost count when I got up about. to when I, when I got up to New England. That's where I got lost. New England gets rough because Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, New York, Pennsylvania all touch yeah. Canada. Yeah, yeah. I knew that border. So and there's only four the border of Mexico, but they're bigger, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's America's top hat. Yep, and there's some holidays. You have to name. You name two national U.S. holidays. Anybody? Labor Day, Federal Memorial holidays? Day. Yeah. Juneteenth. Yeah. Is that on there? Just, uh, Juneteenth's not on this one, though. Mm, it's an old one. Yeah. yeah this, I don't know when this was holiday. written, but <laughs> this is pretty recent, actually, Bill. Anyway, uh, you guys can stay. You've, you've passed. That's the... I can stay? You guys can stay. Well... With Ryan's mm-hmm. help, you can stay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> if I need to take the test, Ryan, I'm coming to you, buddy. All right. I got your back, man. <laughs> yeah, this was Thanks. revised in uh, it's January 19 is when this was. Done yeah, Juneteenth came, yeah. came about, what, you a all, month ago? Like, <laughs> a month ago. Look, you all think it's easy to, to come join the country. You got to take this test. I know most of y'all ain't passing it. So don't look don't look at me oh, like I'm an idiot. Everyone you fell asleep in civics class, right? Like <laughs> absolutely. I felt pretty good after reading that. I could probably I could get I could get six out of ten. I felt pretty good about six out of ten. So if I could just do like the name three branches, I could probably do that. That's yeah. that's about it. You know it's funny we're talking about theme songs tonight. <laughs> Something that's been going through my head this whole time is that Neil Diamond song They're Coming to America. <laughs> we're coming to america today that's right i love neil diamond oh i love it i grew right, up guys. listening to it thanks mom Me and dad too 
Thanks, mom and dad. All right, guys, we are going to wrap up the show. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. Again, if you uh, want to reach out to Tamina or hear more of her story or buy her book, all that information will be in our show notes. You can check that out there. And then uh, next week, we uh, do not have a guest, but hey, we'll be here. Thank you guys for tuning in. And as always, keep looking up.